Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and Creative Control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends. Uh, but the truth is, he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up and coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as so he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. David Cross is a tremendously talented comedian, writer, producer, author, and actor based in Brooklyn, New York. Emmy-winning and Grammy-nominated, Cross is beloved for his work as a stand-up and as a creative force on pioneering television programs like Mr. Show with Bob and David, Arrested Development, and Todd Margaret. And you've likely seen him or heard his voice in shows and films like Station Eleven, Genius Aretha, The Post, Men in Black, I'm Not There, and Megamind, among many others. He wrote a New York Times bestseller with I Drink for a Reason and his comedy albums and specials including Shut Up You Fucking Baby, It's Not Funny, and Oh Come On, contains some of the funniest stand-up of this century. His latest special is called I'm From the Future, which was filmed at the Bell House in Brooklyn in November 2021, and as Cross financed its production and release himself, 
It's currently only available to rent at officialdavidcross.com. David returns to this show for another extensive chat, this time about things like his love of New York City and New Yorkers, his wife Amber Tamlin's forthcoming book, his experience being stuck in Toronto during some of the pandemic, how Canada handled it compared to New York, and his opinion of Ontario Premier Doug Ford, dark satire and having hope, his long and great relationship with Bob Odenkirk, and thoughts on Bob's recent memoir, comedy, 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 drama, and his stellar work on the show Better Call Saul, how great the acting on Mr. Show really was, a new collaboration with Odenkirk, other future plans, and more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 694 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented David Cross with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, David. How's it going? Good. How are you, Vish? I'm well, thank you. Uh, where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in New York, Brooklyn, New York, at my home. <laughs> nice. You have been in Brooklyn for a long time now? How long exactly? Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to get here um, in time for uh, Hurricane Sandy, so I <laughs> kind of rushed that, and I got in just in time, just in the nick of time for Hurricane Sandy. Um so let's see. I was two thousand one, right? Yeah. So uh, I've been in Brooklyn for going on twelve years, eleven years. Sorry. Yeah. Wait. Twenty eleven. Is that what you meant? Twenty eleven. When was Hurricane yeah. Sandy? Yeah. Twenty eleven. Yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> that's, that's I mix okay. my uh, I, I mix my nine elevens and my Hurricane Sandys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Every ten years on the ones. Yeah. There's yep. a horrible disaster. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Were you negative, uh, particularly adversely impacted by the by the hurricane? I know some people lost. Uh, everything. I was. Yeah, uh, I did not lose everything, and it was. Oh. Uh, I have I'm lucky to have insurance and stuff. But yeah, I lost. Um, lost is a bit dramatic. I my I lost my car, uh, yeah. and it was actually an AP photo, <laughs> um, and somebody took video of it from their apartment. But it got swept down one street, turned around up about halfway up another street, and it was the uh, my area got like really badly hit, and uh, um, and the insurance guy was a couple days later, and you know tons of cars. I don't know if you ever saw that the overhead photo of yeah, all yeah. the cars in wherever it was in Long Island or something, but you know, tens of thousands of just trashed vehicles and trees, you know, crushing some. And because cars, you know, rely so much on electronics these days, uh, the salty, you know, seawater, uh, I, I guess it was a bit of a mix of river and sea, but it, the it was, you know, filled to the top. And you could see the residue, the water line and the top of the windows. And the insurance guy just came 
and literally just looked at it and I met him at the car and he just wrote a check, wrote a claim thing, just gave it to me, tore it off and went on to do the next one. Right. There was no discussion. It was, he just looked at it and went, yep, here you go. So I switched in, I switched my, whatever it was, 2007 GMC Acadia for a 2012 Toyota Highlander <laughs> uh, Flex flex fuel whatever it was <laughs> so a blessing in disguise i don't know i don't know what to say about that that's horrible it was a lateral move i'd say it's a lateral move <laughs> I, uh, well i mean that's the perils of living in new york you were in los angeles i presume before that i was in la yeah and i i was in la for nine and a half years but pretty much the entire time my philosophy was i moved to la so that i could get established in my career and make enough money to move away from LA mm. and never have to live there again. Yeah. So uh, I moved to New York in uh, spring of 2001. I see. Now, I mean, that's the center of the industry you're in, uh, LA, I mean. Um, but you've did you, did you feel like you were at any disadvantage being away from it? Because I, I can understand your disdain for LA. I appreciate well, that. Well, it's not, it's, it's not, I, I think, People misunderstand my uh, feelings about L.A. I don't have disdain for it. Um, I don't like it. I have tons of friends there, and there's nice things to do. L.A.'s good if if you've got money. If you don't have money, it's not that great. Uh, Unlike New York, which is also good if you have money, but there are all kinds of things to avail oneself of that don't particularly cost a lot of money. Uh, rent is crazy here, mm-hmm. but rent is also crazy in LA. You get yeah. more space for your money, but you don't spend that much time inside in New York. You know, you tend to, you know, unless the weather is not cooperating, you tend to spend time out of your apartment, and there's all kinds of cool things to do. You can bike everywhere, and um, you can't say that about LA. Um, and LA is, I get why people like it. I just don't care for those things that I don't like the weather there. Uh, I prefer the weather in New York. I like four seasons. Uh, I don't like one and one quarter season. It's dirty there. Not that New York isn't dirty, but it, LA is dirty in the sense that there's dirt, there's smog, there's grit. Oh, there's, I see. Uh, uh, there's just a a thin layer of nasty dirt on everything and the the <laughs> greens aren't as green the trees aren't as green the sky isn't as blue huh. um uh and you have to drive virtually everywhere um which i don't care for uh and, and that contributes to the grit i would yeah I, I'm getting, the smog um, and all that stuff yeah yeah it's a poorly planned city hmm. um and i like biking everywhere i like public transportation i've taken the subway a couple times in la and it's it was okay when it when i had to go from a, a point a to point b and they were kind of conveniently located but outside of that it's not that great and you know i did, it's just not my thing and, <laughs> and i uh yeah <laughs> we, we, and i love new york that's the other yeah. thing i love new york and i I, there aren't that many cities that I love, but I really love New York. I, a day doesn't go by when I'm not thankful that I get to be here, and and I, I just I love it here, and um, this is where I always wanted to live. 
You you take uh, some pride in New York in your new special, which is amazing, by the way. I love it so much. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so funny. Thank you. You make a point. Tell, tell the tell the listeners where they can check it out. <laughs> I believe it's. You want me to do that? Davidcross.com. Is that correct? Is that the best place? Official. Oh. Official David Cross. Because there were other. Other pretenders to the throne. I see. Sorry, um, official David Cross. I usually save the plugging till the end, but I appreciate you intervening. Uh, sorry about that. Officialdavidcross.com is where people could find the special, which you've independently released. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. I funded the whole thing. I produced it. I paid for everything. Um, I'm self-distributing it uh, for a couple reasons. The, the main reason was because... The, not all of it, but I'd say a good, I don't know, 35 to 40% of the material is, is pretty topical mm-hmm. and uh, relevant to the times we're in now. And when I sent it out, you know, I've, I've put specials out on Netflix and Epics and Stars and HBO and um, Comedy Central. And when I, when I went out with this, you know, most uh, of the responses were, in in part because of COVID, backed everything up. But uh, hmm. they were like, "Okay, well, we could uh, we could slot you in." I think the earliest I got, I I taped this in uh, November seventh and eighth of two thousand twenty one, and uh, was like third quarter of two thousand twenty three, um, or two thousand twenty two, or uh, a couple other people were like, "Yeah, we have stuff available in twenty twenty three." I'm like. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, I'm not going <laughs> to, that's way too long. And, you know, I know um, a number of people are doing this model, and I, and I kind of used uh, like Louis C.K.'s template, and a number of other people have done it. Yeah. And uh, I already have the website, it exists. Yeah, yeah. And so I put it up there, and hopefully I will make my money back, you know? You know, back in the day, if a record label or a, a company like the ones you're describing said, oh, we can't do that uh, right away because uh, we got to manufacture it and blah, blah, blah. Wh- why would there be any delay if you were saying, I finished a thing, there's not mm-hmm. a physical aspect to this. It could go up at any point. What is their pipeline problem that I, I don't understand? That is a that that is the $64,000 question. That is a great question. I don't know. I never got a satisfactory answer except just that's how it's done. That's what they've got and they've got X amount of comedy specials, you know, lined up and they've got X amount of, you know, dramatic one-offs and X amount of uh, you know, serialized shows and yeah. X amount of whatever to roll out. But it's a really good question. Like why, what does it matter? You know, it's all based on an algorithm. You're not taking up any space except for a pretend space in outer space. <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a bandwidth. It, it lives on a server somewhere. I don't know the answer to that. It's a really good question. Well, I'll advocate on behalf of some people here by suggesting, cause I, I deal with this sometimes with uh, people with books uh, publishers, p- publicists for books. Uh, you know, if I say, hey, I have the author of that book you guys put out two months ago on my show, they say, oh, we're done. We don't promote that book anymore. We had a run and that's it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what's the, di- it's a book. It's a book. Yeah. <laughs> like the person spent like two years probably writing that book. What's two? And they're like, yeah, we just, that's it. So all I'm getting at is to advocate. 
I think what their rationale is, we have limited personnel with limited time and they can't we can't squeeze or shoehorn extra promotion in. By the way, all that is to me is ah. just hit retweet. I'm not asking you to write anything. Just share the thing. Sorry, I, I get a little thirsty with this stuff. No, I, I don't even know. Like Netflix barely promotes anything. I know. I mean, they're yeah. they're infamous for not promoting stuff. Yeah. And so I don't know. That doesn't even apply but yeah. to, to them. But um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I mean, <laughs> uh, and books are worse. My wife is uh, is an author, has another book coming out in October, but she finished that you know, half a year ago yeah. and, and they need like a year to, from when you finish it to like, okay, we'll release it a year from now. And okay. Why? Well, they just need that time. And that's how it is in publishing. It's worse. You know, I've, I've watched her go through it a, a number of times yeah. and they have a deadline. She has a deadline. She's got to go, you know, I've locked herself in a room for uh, three weeks before the deadline and you're making this deadline, but the book's not going to come out for a year. Yeah, yeah. that, okay, so a physical book or a physical record or something, means of production, these days, I get it a little bit. I get that a little bit more, but it's not tied to that. You're right. If they really wanted to, they'd be like, you're done your book? Okay, we'll send it off to the press tomorrow. They, they could do that, uh, it, yeah. but, and I get it. Again, I'm trying to advocate on timelines and all that stuff but uh hey by the way uh can you tell the people uh listening who who your wife is and maybe do you want to plug the book is it too early to plug the the book coming out in october i don't want to leave that behind no i'm i'm happy to uh my wife is michelle obama and she's got a new <laughs> memoir that uh was ghost written uh by no my wife is uh amber tamblin and she is uh has a book of essays uh, shoot, what is the, I, I'm almost positive she's settled on a title, I should remember it, it's, uh, she, I don't remember the title. Is she in the house? It's, can you text her? Where, what, what's going on? Yeah, I can text her. Just ask her the title, yeah. Well, no, that's, a, so it's a book of essays, that's interesting. Yeah, about women's intuition. Uh. Oh, that's very fascinating. Of your new <laughs> book. <laughs> I like this. Um, I will tell you in a second. No, It'll... that's fine. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's great. Uh, as she's a, uh, you're saying she's a, this is not her first book, is what you were kind of intimating. Is that correct? No, no. She's got several books. She's got uh, four books of poetry, I think. Uh, yep, four books of poetry. Um, oh, it's called, here she just texted me. It's called Listening in the Dark. Listening in um, the Dark. I see. Yep, by Amber Tamblin. Well, uh, edited by Amber Tamlin, and I will give you the publisher as well in a second. Uh, Listening in the Dark, a collection of essays. It's all women shit. It's all it's all feminist, you know. Uh, I mean, whining is whining oh my a good God. word. No, it can't be. This is not a good blurb. Did you blurb that book? Please don't. <laughs> yes. That's, that's what that's it says the on the back. back. That's my blurb for the back cover. It's just a bunch so of whining, Harper, David Cross. Yeah. It, yeah, a bunch of women <laughs> bitching about men. Um, <laughs> uh, another book uh, where <laughs> I, it's... Uh, I'm not touching be, this. I, I did touch it, but I'm, I'm backing away. No, it sounds very interesting, if I might say, to, to get us yeah, back. Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> and she's got a, a great list of, uh, of writers and uh, some professional writers, some not. Um, oh, it'll okay. be uh, Park Row Books, by, uh, which is a HarperCollins 
subsidiary imprint. imprint. Uh, that's where it's coming out. It's called Listening in the Dark, and it'll be ed- edited by Amber Tamlin. So pick it up. Well, She's shoot, maybe maybe I should reach out writer. to my uh, Harper Collins people and see about uh, getting uh, Amber on the show, if if possible. That would oh, be, do for sure. That, that, Absolutely, that sounds interesting. Now, where was I yeah. going with what I was talking about before? Oh yeah, New York. So on your special. You advocate. Oh, for, we're going way back. Yeah, okay. sorry, we're going back five minutes. <laughs> That's uh, right. No, you advocate for bike riding, which I thought was really great. You shot your uh, special at the the Bell House, which is a lovely uh, venue. I've been to just the one time uh, a few years. Oh, it's great. And I, you know, I bike. I'm doing shows to prepare, you know, to get new material yeah. for the next time I go out, uh, and then I bike everywhere. I bike to all my shows, right. except for the Manhattan ones. There's some. Just because they end too late, and I don't want to ride over the bridge and all that, because uh, I got to get up early with a, I got a five year old. So yeah, yeah. Um, but all the all the Brooklyn shows, you know, I, I ride my bike. It's great. No, it's not. It's it. an amazing. I, I just like that you point that out. Maybe some people will take that into consideration. You know, oh, maybe I could be biking around. It's good. But the other point I was going to raise is you talk about New York uh, and the way New Yorkers reacted to the pandemic. As in mm-hmm. relation to the rest of the of your country, uh, which, by the way, for mm-hmm. those listening, the United States of America. So, um, can you expand? Oh no, no, I'm so sorry, Beach. I live in Little New York. <laughs> sorry, in in BC. <laughs> it's a little section. It's a block long, and it's just got dog shit everywhere. <laughs> hey, by the way, in the special, and I don't know if you ended up ever elaborating upon it, but you were trapped in Canada during the pandemic. You you talked about I that. I was. Why was, was that again? Uh, oh, I don't know if you heard. There was this thing called COVID. No, oh my no, gosh, no, no, no. Was... Sorry. Why were you in Canada is what I was getting at there. I assume you were oh. <laughs> making, doing a film. No, no. I I, I live in Alberta now. I moved uh, from Ontario. Why? Why'd you, uh, that's why'd a, you move? That's a common question I get. In that tone. Yeah. Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. I uh, My wife's family is from here uh, uh-huh. and also in Ontario. Uh, real estate market is uh, prohibitive. We were yeah. uh, middle, you know. It's crazy. Yeah, you, we couldn't. We we have two children now, and we had a two bedroom yeah. ha- a house we owned, but we couldn't. Yeah. We would bid on uh, I don't know fifteen houses and get outbid by people from Toronto. Lived in a small town outside of Toronto, an hour outside of Toronto, called Guelph, and uh, that's where you and I have talked from before. Where I, that's where I was anyway. And anyway, yeah. Couldn't afford to move, and then the job market was. I couldn't. We couldn't find work that didn't have us commuting to Toronto, which is one right. of the most expensive cities to live in as well. Didn't want to live. It's it's nuts, man. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's it. And then better, uh, higher paying jobs call, beckoned, and uh, again, Michelle. Yeah, I get it. My parents are in Ontario, but Michelle kind of did her time in Ontario away from her yeah. family, and her brothers all have kids. Anyway, it made sense at the time, but then uh, Alberta during the pandemic showed itself to be uh like america uh not really yeah. dealing with the issue in a in a in a well toronto was pretty bad i thought yeah. i mean and i don't know that you could fuck up more than doug ford fucked up like repeatedly yes. and consistently and the press conference he had where he started crying uh which i watched um i mean it was infuriating and i've never seen uh been been in the place where this happened before where twice in one in a one week period doug ford uh, uh you know announced this edict and 
the cops twice said, mm, we're not going to do that. Twice. Yeah. The police, when he said uh, there were there were two things. One was the, uh, what was it? One was the drinking. No, one was just, uh, the first one was about stopping people. This is way into the fucking, you know, lockdown, yeah. stay at home order right. stuff. Way into it, the the um, after the winter, which wasn't particularly harsh, but you know it's a Toronto winter. It's not great, and you know people spring, were spring summer twenty twenty. Are we talking right now? No, winter spring twenty one. Oh, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. We went up there in uh, mid January, and the the reason so we went up there because my wife was working on a show, and. Oh. Uh, Initially, before COVID, it was just going to be the greatest situation. Um, as I said, we have a we had a daughter who was uh, four at the start of it. No, uh, mm. gosh, uh, three uh, at mm-hmm. the start, three and a half, and uh, oh no, about three, about to turn four. And um, initially, it was going to be uh, my wife had it in her contract that she would have Fridays or Mondays off, so she could come home. It's a quick flight, Toronto, New York, it's nothing, and. You know, and she was a part of this large ensemble show, so she had all this time off, and uh, it was just ideal. And then COVID hit, but it wasn't that bad in Canada, but it was it was ex- ex- extremely bad initially in New York, yeah, and we yeah. were the kind of gateway. Epicenter you know, for quite a while, yeah. We were the epicenter, yeah. and nobody knew what was going on. There was, there was no obviously no vaccine yet, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it was... I talk about in the special, the, the freezer trucks, the yeah, mobile no, no. freezer trucks with bodies and the makeshift graves. It was it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. It was crazy. And people, it was scary, you know, for, yeah. for a, a good month of, um, and nobody knew what to do. And we were just learning piecemeal, the little bits of information. And sometimes, you know, 20% of that information that you get would be corrected within, you know, three days. Oh, we had it wrong. It's actually, you know. Yeah, and so the idea was like, okay, we'll just take the family up to Toronto, and that's what we'll do. And I was, I was happy. I had no work here, and I was like, great, I'll do. Uh, you know, I love Toronto. I, uh, I'll just get a residency somewhere, and then just do stand up. I, I, I've, I recorded an album in Toronto. I, I've had really fun shows. I and I, it's, I like the city a lot. And. Yeah. Um, and so we were looking forward to it, you know, like, we'll just go up there and you do your work and we'll have plenty of, you know, plenty of time off and uh, I'll just go do sets. And then in the interim of planning that uh, and, you know, getting an Airbnb and figuring all the stuff out, COVID uh, made it to Canada um, <laughs> and, you know, the reactions were mixed, mixed <laughs> at best and Doug Ford was just uh just terrible I mean just I will be I mean nothing shocks me anymore in the world of politics but I will be really surprised if he if he gets reelected he did that happened and he got reelected last week as sorry as we're speaking uh those listening it was two weeks ago but yeah last week he got uh Reelected, and uh, the I was following it. Sorry, I didn't even get to that part of it, uh, and it's a little. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, 
Yeah, no, no, no. There's, there's, I'm amazed. You remember I'm his, amazed. You remember his brother, right, Rob Ford? The yeah, mayor? of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, smoked crack with him a, a million times. <laughs> Not a million, but so, I mean that's an exaggeration. But seven times. I understand. Um, I understand how hyperbole works. But my point is this. Uh, yeah, no, it uh, it's baffling. We moved to a place that had the uh, furthest right uh, political party in power in Canada. They made up a party. It wasn't the Conservative Party. wasn't far right enough. So the party here in Alberta is the, uh, I don't even know what they're called, the UCP, United Conservative Party, I want to say. I always say ultra-conservative party, but it's the United Conservative Party. And Uber. The, Uber, Uber conservative. conservative Party, that sounds like a, a ride. Uber Alice. It's like a ride service. But anyway, yeah, they uh, they came into power after this province elected the furthest left government that we, uh, or rather party that we have, really, the NDP, maybe not the furthest left, but pretty close. And that's after like 60 years of conservative rule. So in my mind, I'm like, yes, we're leaving Doug Ford's Ontario, which was a factor, by the way. I will say politically, yeah. I'm like, we can't do this. But I also was like, this is not this is worse. We're going to a worse place. But but they just had a far left. Sorry, I'm giving you some of my political stripes here. They just had yeah, a, a conscious uh, party in power. Maybe it'll oscillate back. But I don't know what to make of anything anymore because uh, democracy is very frustrating. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was like, I can't remember what the, it was like 18% of the people in Ontario voted total. It was like some, like eligible voters, like no one cared. And yet Ford won. I might have, I might be fudging that number, but it was a very low v- voter turnout and Doug Ford won. Well, that's what you get. That's what you get. So nobody, really nobody has a right to complain. Uh, unless you voted for no, even if you voted for Ford, you'd have a right to complain. But unless you voted, you have a right. But yes, uh, so eighty-two <laughs> percent of those of the people should shut the fuck up um, if you don't go vote. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a. Uh, I'm sorry you. Uh, well, I'm glad you got to experience a little bit of Canada because sometimes you guys. You think we got it so good up here? Oh, I'll go to Canada. Whenever like uh, someone bad is elected president, that's true. That's true. We hear that. Oh, from oh, I'm going to move to Canada. You know, like Alec Baldwin will say that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's the. Um, <laughs> so yeah. so I get it. Anyway, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, hey, that guess what? Purpose. Alec Baldwin is not going to move to Canada ever. Ever. He probably he probably can't now. He's probably under some sort of uh, watch. Anyway, yeah. that's a whole other topic. But my uh, my point was going to be. What was my point? You're in New- you advocate for New Yorkers uh, yeah. in America. Well, the way, in particular, the way, uh, and I, I've talked over the years. I, you know, uh, I've talked about how New Yorkers responded to 9/11, how they responded to the um, blackouts that came, uh, that were very scary on the heels of 9/11, um, and how everybody. It's New Yorkers are very helpful and um yeah. and civic you know um they're certainly brusque and it can be very brusque but they are uh some of the most helpful people i've ever lived amongst and uh, i've lived in a lot of different places but there's a, a real serious sense of community whether you're, you're talking about a borough the city itself a borough or just your block you know and just seeing yet again the way New Yorkers responded to the pandemic. And it's it was baffling seeing so many people uh, in Toronto, too. Uh, you know, we're not going to wear a mask. Fuck you. You know, don't yeah. tell me what to do. And, uh, and, and just a complete selfish 
lack of concern for other people, which when you distill it, it's just that. That's what yeah. I'm not going to do this thing, but whatever your reasons are, anti-government, it's an overreach or whatever the thing yeah. is, even though you've been told empirical and factual information, like just the refusal uh, based on this kind of misguided, selfish principle and uh, hmm. and New Yorkers didn't do that for the most part. And, uh, and then we got to open up. Uh, I was in Toronto. And I, and let me tell you, this is uh, uh, it was a seriously. It was a tough time for us. It was hard on our marriage, uh, being locked in this mm. uh, house with a four-year-old and uh, quarantining uh, and not being allowed out and um, mm. and for six months. Well, five months. We, my wife has stayed for. Well, I, we left the second we could get out. I mean, literally the second I, you know, I took my daughter and we went back to New York, where everything was open. Right. Everything. We have open streets now. We have uh, this yeah. thing called open streets where they close down the streets of traffic and everybody goes out. You eat and drink. It's very European. Right. And uh, right. um, and uh, just people enjoying themselves and still, you know, wearing masks if they have to and but uh, things opening up and and in the interim and you know, while I'm up in Toronto, I'm I, and I and my wife was like, "Look, just go you know, go somewhere and you know, do a week, do a week somewhere. Just go get work. I mean, do it for your own head." And it was really tough. I had a I had a difficult time with it. I'm um, sorry to hear that. And uh uh I mean, as as I think a lot of people did, but um and then everything, I was calling, literally, Alberta, I was looking at clubs, going online, anywhere, going Vancouver, uh, Calgary, Regina, uh, Edmonton, Winnipeg. I was looking everywhere, and nothing is open, there's nowhere to go, mm. nothing to do, and um, but, I'm like, but, surely Yellowknife, Yellowknife <laughs> must have something, I will walk to Yellowknife, uh, but... Um, uh, uh, and then, I'm, you know, in the meantime, I'm talking to friends of mine, I was... Uh, talking to Bob Odenkirk and he's like, yeah, I, I did a set at, uh, it was really fun. I jumped on, you know, Janine's show at the thing and it was great. And I'm like, Oh my God. Mm. And I couldn't, there's no back and forth cause you'd have to quarantine. Yeah. 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 And not just quarantine, but you have to go to the airport, uh, hotels that, that were mandated three days at the, the, you know, the Toronto airport double tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go home and then they would send people, they were serious, like, we're going to send people to your, where you're staying. And if you're not there, you, you know, we'll kick you out or you'll be fine or you go to jail or whatever. And it was, it was, and you just, there was nowhere to go, nothing to do. And, so just uh, to, just to intervene though, but I'm trying to parse out what you're saying. Are you saying, because I gather you're saying there was sort of a potentially overreach here in Canada mm-hmm. compared to your, what your friends are going through in the States. However, is was that precipitated by how much bungling of the situation was done here? Or did you just think, why are these Canadians being so overcautious? Or was your mind... Like, because I had wrestled no, with this... I, no, oh. I I'd never thought... I didn't think it was overcautious. I think it was... If all this is to say, everything I'm saying is, if everybody in Toronto or Ontario had adhered to a mask mandate right. 
yeah. had adhered, had done. That's what I'm saying. In New York, they told us to do, and it's what I talk about in the special, yes. albeit in a uh, much funnier way. <laughs> laughter. <laughs> what could uh, be funnier than this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this conversation is a little drier than. Uh, but anyway, uh, sorry, but, yeah, is this my uh, fault? I didn't mean to do this. <laughs> no, it's I'm all right. My best here. We're not. I'm not. You know, trying to put on a show, but you know, as I as I talk about, and this is this was a real thing. The junkies wore masks. Yes, she and said the junkies. That, yeah. uh, you know, as I said, I live around the corner from a treatment center, um, and everybody wore a mask. We did the stuff that the minimal stuff, and then when and we're we're one of the most vaccinated states in in the country. The the fourth most, fifth most. I don't know outside of like Maine and Vermont. Yep. Yep. You know the the blue states here, uh, um, and we're like, oh, a, a free a free vaccine that we know works. Okay, we'll take it. Thank you. And and you know, just to watch the the rest of the country react the way they did, and like, oh, you're messing it up for everyone. But that's this is that is to say why I was frustrated in toronto too because people just didn't wear masks yeah i remember okay so i had this um when they opened up a little bit towards the early spring things got a little looser like nothing in fact there were two weeks in march i believe uh uh early mid-march where they it's two weeks where they kind of opened things up with the six foot space you know and there was a bar on uh not Queen. No, maybe it was Queen. But uh, there was a place that I that was great that had this outdoor backyard area. And so for two weeks, even though it was, it was cold, we'd bundle up and we'd go get get beers and just be outside and be with other people drinking beer. And, you know, and that went away after two weeks. They rescinded that. Um, right. Because I think people just didn't. They're like, OK, we can do this, but you still have to stay six feet apart and you still have to wear masks. Mm but we can do this. And then people just didn't do it. Right. And so then they took it away right. for people's safety because people were dying. And it was just a frustrating thing to be a part of because I was like, I, you know, I did everything you're supposed to do. And my wife did everything you're supposed to do. And I come from a place where I know it works. Mm. And I, I went, when they opened this thing up, I went to one of those, um, office, you know, where you get your own little room, office, rental yep. places, yep. temporary. Uh, I'm sure there's an umbrella term for it. but uh, Like an know. office B&B or something? Yeah, sure. I don't know what they're called, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, that's not it, but you know what I mean. Like a WeWork place, yeah, but that's I don't right. want to yeah. say WeWork. Yeah, but like that, that kind of idea. So yeah. I got a place just to be able to get out of the house and walk through the park. I, I was uh, right near Trinity Bellwood Park. And, oh, nice. Uh, and just go, just be able to be somewhere else uh uh and uh when when my daughter you know we we got like a uh temporary nanny part-time nanny and i would just go and just try to write you know or do Mm -hmm. something or change my scenery and of course you know wearing a mask uh when i'm in a public area and there was a woman uh i'm gonna guess early mid-30s who was had her office established there. Um, she was all set up when I got there. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and she wrote a note and put it under my door saying, hi, uh, you know, my name is whatever. And, uh, hopefully we'll be able to meet 
you know, in a in better situation. But uh, if you see me in the office not wearing a mask, it's because I have PTSD and I can't wear a mask. P- and PT- that's bullshit. PTS- that's made up. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, whatever. You know, unless she was attacked by masks or something. But why? Or a mask was forced on her when she was a child. Whatever. Yeah. It's a bullshit excuse. Mm-hmm. And and again, we're not talking about duct tape. We're not talking about a pillowcase with eye holes cut out. We're talking about a light strip of cloth. There's a there's it. a run in your special where I could not stop laughing. I've watched your special twice, and I laughed uh, at this uh, the same amount, if I may, where you go on that run about the uh, equivalence of wearing a mask. Like what? Uh, oh, what, yeah. what? What? <laughs> yeah. What struggles there are? And, and yeah, I. I Here's where I'm going to go with this a little bit. Are you familiar with uh, this political satire duo, the the Good Liars? Do you yes, know them? yes. I don't know them personally, funny. but I know their right, right. tweets. Yes, and they're funny. And what they do, for those who don't know, they're a couple guys, and they go, they're very brave, I would say, uh, because yeah. they keep doing it and no one seems to recognize them. But they go to these MAGA rallies, and they try to highlight the idiocy and the hypocrisy and the foolishness of people well the one they just i'm sorry to interrupt but they just did one at a nra whatever that was a week ago or so that was really ballsy the, the one guy, where he confront jason confronts wayne lapierre directly well that one? yeah where he goes and he's yeah. he's lauding him he's like you know you're just what you're doing is great and uh yeah. and he starts it's and then he you know turns it at the end but holy moly that's that's pretty ballsy yeah, Jason Selwig, I believe, is the fellow's name. I don't know them myself, but uh, uh, basically, for those who haven't seen it, yeah, he really takes uh, thoughts and prayers, that expression, and really goes to town on Wayne LaPierre. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but but where I'm coming from, David, uh, is that uh, a friend of mine on Twitter, his name's John Semley, retweeted one of the Good Liars bits, and it's one where they're going, they're at a MAGA rally or something, and they're trying to get a guy, an older guy, who's a MAGA guy, to go on the record saying he's against slavery. That's the, that's the gist of it. And they can't get him to do it because the right. guy just doesn't understand. But my friend John tweeted something like, what's the point of this? It's like, just to the, there's a level of satire where I think people are like, what are we doing with, like, what is, we understand that these people are horrible, but what are we doing? And I, I took, I just took it for, like, I love, I love the good liars myself. I'm like, huh, yeah, what, what are we doing? We know these people are deplorable, if you will. Where are we going with this? And I bring this to you because I think in your comedy, which I love, you have pointed out hypocrisy and idiocy. And for a long time for me, particularly the last 20 years, definitely post 9-11, I have taken great comfort in that. At that release valve of like, holy fuck, everyone sucks. And someone (laughs) is articulating this in such a funny way. But at this point, like where I think even the right... It doesn't impact them in a way where they're like, oh, yeah, we're fucking assholes. They're right. They just double down. So all I'm getting at is, do you still get the same satisfaction in doing a special like yours, if you ever did, <laughs> in sort of highlighting these things? Because I don't I don't get the sense that you're like, I'm going to change the world with my comedy. Uh, I'm yeah. going to change I mean, people's minds. Key. Yeah. That's the key. I mean, I'm just putting it out there. Uh, it's catharsis and it's comforting, I think. Back during the Bush administration, 
when I was uh, touring around the country, I the feeling I got and the sentiment that was expressed to me by by people, you know, uh, fans or or, or uh, new fans when I go somewhere that was more like where I grew up, which was Georgia, mm-hmm. you'd get a real sense, again, because they would express this, that I'm glad there's somebody else that thinks like this and that is not in the majority, because I am in New York, I'm in a progressive, I choose to be in this, and I can afford to be in a um, liberal progressive uh, city in a liberal progressive state. I mean, again, it's relative, but um, certainly the rest of the United States. And and when you go to Macon, Georgia, or uh, you know Raleigh, North Carolina, or uh, outside of Louisville, Kentucky, or someplace like that, where people are not in the majority, they're in the minority, and they're they're just for at least for 90 minutes, one night, there's a guy that's coming in and they can sit amongst other people, you know, uh, let's, let's say 1200 other people and they can, that feel like, oh, there's a, there's a empowerment there and there's a, it's a relief. And I, I know that my comedy can give them that feeling at least for a night, you know, and you know, maybe people make friends that with with people uh, like minded people that are at the show. And I've uh, um, at numerous shows, depending on the the time of the year when it's happening, I've done voter registration drives up out in the lobby, and and perhaps people come together. And and especially if you're in a a smaller, uh, more conservative area. And look, that's that's just a, a happy byproduct. That's not my intent. Uh, you know, I go out. It's it's uh, kind of easy on a on one level to do what I do in Brooklyn. You know, and I love touring. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love stand up. I love touring. I love yeah, yeah. traveling. And that's that's just one of the nice byproducts of going to a a, a tougher and you know not believe <laughs> me, not everybody in the audience is like-minded. I, uh, when I was doing the make a, make America great again tour, I mean, I had walkouts virtually every single night. I think I yeah. did 111 shows in that tour. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not including Europe or, uh, Canada. I, 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 but in the States for sure, I'd say virtually every show there were people who walked out sometimes quietly and sometimes very noisily. Huh? So, okay. And I appreciate that you, it sounds to me like you're aware of the fact that what you're doing, uh, provides a bomb for like-minded people. Do you ever hear that you've changed a mind or do you, I know again, it's very exalted and lofty to assume that you were telling jokes might change someone's mind. I had Jeff Tweedy from Wilco on the show recently, like last week. And um, I, cha- I changed Jeff Tweedy's mind. He was, uh, <laughs> he was very, he was pro slavery. Um, and then I did a set. This is going way back. Uh, and he said, eh, you, you opened my eyes. I, there should not be slavery, slavery, he said, slavery bad. I've gone on record before. I think Wilco's concept album, the pro-slavery concept <laughs> album, was a, was a mistake. I think it's a misstep in their career, and I think... It was, uh, it was ballsy, but it yeah. Was, yeah. It was brave on the one hand, but maybe misguided on the other. My point is, at one point I was talking to him about this. I'd like to talk to Americans and Canadians about what the hell's going on in our lives. 
And uh, he said uh, he has hope. He has hope. He has hope because his late father uh, was so repulsed by what Trump was saying. And it was more along the lines of, of his dad being such a ardent, hardworking, working-class guy that he, could, he resented Trump for being the boss's son and then also attacking migrants and immigrants. And because his father, who he said he would not have agreed with for most of his life, by the end of his life, had changed, had evolved, it gave yeah. him hope that to him, these the problems, gun control, the solutions are so evident that he believes at some point things will change. And I can't tell, uh, for those of us who love David Cross, the one word that is synonymous with David Cross is hope. Do you have hope, David, that things could change the people, the selfishness that you've been talking about, the asshole, uh, the assholery, even in Toronto, Canada, which is supposed to, I, you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. <laughs> and my answer is different now than it would have been uh, five and a half years ago. Uh, um, hmm. And I've been asked this before and i would say to you that i have hope because i have to have hope i don't have the luxury of not having hope because i have a five-year-old daughter and if i thought there was no hope and i continued down the cynical path that i was on which i understandably (laughs) uh based on the evidence before me um (laughs) Uh, that it, I can't do that with a kid, yeah, and I don't want to do that to her. And I find myself surprising myself uh, uh, pretty often. Like the the guy I was when I was in my twenties, uh, the ideas I had about not that I ever articulated this, but I'm presuming if I was confronted with it when I was like twenty three, like yeah. if I had a kid, I I wouldn't tell him about Santa Claus. I'd tell him exactly what's going on. Like any of that kind of concept. Is out the window. I am a Jew who I was raised Jewish, and uh, I'm an atheist. I was fairly early on, and I'm have a Christmas tree. We decorate it, talk about Santa, uh, and that you can extrapolate that into things going on in the future as she gets more cognizant and aware of things. And I will continue to find the upside and the the wonderment and the beautiful and uh, hope in everything I can now because of her. I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting. I, I've been very uh, intrigued by like when uh, George Carlin's daughter, I want to say, is on Twitter or Robin Williams's daughter. It's very fascinating like to see the offspring kind of revisiting their parents' oldest material. And someone like Carlin is always trending, you know, because he said something mm-hmm. at some point that resonates today. So yep. it is interesting. I th- I think about it too with my kids. Like we have these weird legacies we have to be mindful of now, maybe. I don't, I don't care about my legacy. I don't, uh, uh, I probably did. I don't mean, before, I don't mean but... in terms of like socioculturally, but like your children. You've done so much yes. stuff. Yes, oh, that legacy, What I'm yes. saying is you've done, like, I'm looking behind right. you, and I can see some evidence of some of the work you've done in terms of TV and whatnot, in terms of posters and whatnot. And uh, what I'm saying is, like, we've done all, and I, on a much smaller scale, have made these things that unless the internet falls apart, 
will always be around, you know, and you've got the God, same... God, I hope the internet falls apart. <laughs> so that's what I'm getting at. I, I do think you're, what you're saying is parenting changes you, and that sounds hokey, I imagine, to some people, but it really does. Well, um, better. Yeah, I ex- mean, exactly. I, I never... When I was younger, and I... Not that much younger, because the example I'm going to cite is... Uh, but I remember seeing an interview with Matt Damon and uh, early on, and not even to pick him out specifically, but because a million different people have expressed this, but he was the one I read the interview with who asked if success changed him. And he said, no, I'm still the same guy. And that's either you're lying or you're just not very self-aware because of course it changes you. Mm. It changes every single person. Uh, the, the, the idea of not having money and having money, uh, is completely changes your life and your world and your perception. And, uh, especially for the people who forget, uh, or want to forget, um, or speed up the forgetfulness of (laughs) what it's like to not have money. And, uh, yeah. So having a kid better change you. Yeah. You know? No, I appreciate that. I uh, just read, or a couple months ago, I guess, I finished Bob, your friend Bob Odenkirk's book, mm-hmm. which uh, for those, we're plugging a lot of books today. Comedy, comedy, mm-hmm. comedy, drama, I believe is, mm-hmm. I think I got the right number of comedies there. Uh, you blurb the book, I think in a more mm-hmm. uh, more uh, fulsome way than the blurb we discussed for Amber's book earlier. Uh, sure. Did anything about that book, I assume you read it? Did you read it or did you just blurb it? For fun. I, I read it twice. I read his, uh, you know, the galley copy, yeah. uh, you know, just to sort of give him my impressions and stuff before it was locked, as they call it. Yeah. And then uh, and then he, you know, uh, uh, whatever it was, nine months later, I got the, the finished book and I read it again. It's, yeah. it's great. I loved it. And I want to ask uh, about uh, your impressions of the way he told his story and, and maybe if you had any surprises there, but I will say also, I just don't want to lose this thread. It prompted me to rewatch Mr. Show and I have some thoughts about that too, but let's go to the book first. Sorry. I'm just, I'm a jump. It's a jumbled question. Did anything about Bob's book in any iteration that you read, uh, surprise you per se? Was there anything about what he divulged that you were like, Oh, didn't think he was going to go, you know, present that. Well, not in the sense that I didn't think he'd say something that he said that I was aware of, but the only thing that was kind of, I I wouldn't say revelatory, but uh, he always kind of downplayed uh, stand-up as a role in his development. And in the book, he describes doing stand-up and doing more stand-up than I ever thought he ever did. That isn't to say he did a ton of it, but it was more than I was led to believe. And he actually did, you know, went out and hit the road a couple times, which, uh, um, but I mean, that's like literally the only thing. I I mean, I've known the guy, he's, you know, one of my best friends and I've known him for a long, long time. And so a lot of that stuff I knew that I didn't know the full the story is he told it about running into Del Close, which is, you know, both at the time and in hindsight, life changing. You know, that was a really interesting story. That was great. It was a great story that I yeah. wasn't aware of. I mean, I only knew it as like, oh, yeah, I ran into Del Close's. But the way he laid it out, like, 
oh my god that's a huge deal does he run into Dell at the bookstore? Is that the story? yes? Yeah, yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. For, yeah. The, for those who don't know, who is Dell Close? David, just can you contextualize Dell? Dell Close is the uh, is a is a legend in uh, uh, improvisation and um, basically the philosophy and structure of improv as we know it now and sketch, I should say, improv uh, going to sketch. He's he was the guy who developed all of those philosophies and those exercises and um, you know what ended up becoming Second City. He, he yeah. worked at Second, but Second City as we know it now, uh, the Groundlings, uh, Improv Olympic, uh, UCB. Uh, I mean, he's the guy who started yeah. the Herald, and uh, um, but he was like a he was like a kind of as I understand it, kind of like a druggy fuck up genius yeah. you know yeah as, as are so many people in the arts but but yeah. his influence i mean reaches around the world yeah do you have any take on why bob uh may have had some i i appreciate that bob's interest was sketch like for something some mm-hmm. everyone has something that speaks to them mm-hmm. bob was really intrigued but by that but there is a run in his book as i recall it's been a few months since i read it but uh where he kind of takes out a couple of comedians like name comedians just being like that was not my style and I didn't like it. Uh, he's talking about the eighties comedy boom, I think really. Mm-hmm. Do you know where his, is it, is there anything to his relative disdain for stand up? Like again, I don't think it's disdain. That's the wrong word. But in that run, he kind of is like, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be like those guys because they were the stars and I didn't like them. But do you know where that may have come from? Is there something about stand up versus sketch that can be extrapolated from that? I don't know specifically. I mean, he'd have to answer that, but I yeah, think sure. I think he's he's good at stand up. I mean, if he I I I can tell you if he applied himself uh, to be his uh, third grade teacher, if he applied himself <laughs> to stand up, he would be a great stand up. And uh he's he's a good writer. I don't think he has uh, a tremendous amount of confidence in it in himself as, as a standup mm. and, but also sketch is a, is a very different thing. And you get to, there's characters, there's a story, there's an arc. It's not a monologue. It's, uh, um, it's a different thing. And they s- sketch as a format out of all the other possible formats suited his yeah. sensibility yeah. better than, certainly stand up or anything else. And, and he's right. We shared that. I mean, stronger than, I mean, disdain, contempt, disgust, uh, repulsion <laughs> of those, uh, there's certain kinds of acts, uh, especially in the eighties, early nineties. Um, yeah. because if you're listening to this now and you're younger, you, the world of stand-up and comedy is what it is and feels like it's always been that way, but it wasn't. And in the 80s, there was a very real palpable comedy boom, and it was a big deal, and it had gone from uh, almost seemingly overnight, of course it wasn't overnight, but felt that way to some people, like where comedy was just a sort of, you know, second cousin of the entertainment world. There weren't that many stand-ups and most of them the vast majority that you'd see on the limited availability of 
the Tonight Show or something like that were kind of softer, yeah, uh, corny, mm-hmm. um, or doing these bad kind of arch characters, and uh, and then you know there was this huge comedy boom and. In that comedy boom, there were people who, for the first time, said, I'm going to use stand-up as a vehicle. I'm not necessarily talented, and I'm not that funny, and I'm not, uh, but I want to do sitcoms or whatever the thing is, and I can use stand-up as a vehicle to get me there. And some people were successful at that, and they, it wasn't intuitive, it wasn't an innate thing, it wasn't pure, it wasn't real. And uh, and you could tell immediately. I mean, you could suss it up immediately. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of those folks clogging everything up. And this is kind of where what we now know, because a journalist decided to phrase it this way, as the alternative comedy, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore. But um, mm-hmm. back then, it, it sort of did, um, uh, even though there was no name for it until somebody some journalist somewhere named it, but um, Mm. it came out of that and it came out of that contempt for that kind of stand-up comedy. And I think that kind of stand-up is what Bob is reacting to. Is it the pretense of it? Is it the softness, as you say, of it? Is it the inherent careerism that's evident? Like there seem to be a lot of things swirling around. I I think it's mostly just, I I mean, you know, stand-up is a really hard thing to do and it's very particular and it's a to be dramatic if you suffer for your art as some stand-ups do and have done where you're just going through the grind of like awful show after awful show so you can get the stage time so you can get better and you're eating it and bombing night after night. And sometimes with you're not just there's not just no reaction. There's a kind of negative sometimes with an undercurrent of violence, depending on where you are in the country, of uh reaction to your stuff. And it's a it's it's hard. It's psychologically a hard thing to do. And um and for people who are dedicated to the art and craft of stand-up to see people roll in with their, you know, kind of just parroting or aping the, the plugging it in like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll change my cadence to be like this for this yes. joke. And I'll, and it's just the, it, there's nothing, there's no heart or soul to it. It's false. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, and to see that and then to see that work and to see that be successful is disheartening and it's yeah. hard so that's kind of what i'm talking yeah. about is uh you know again like it, it, to start from nothing and to be a stand-up and to i mean it is a fucking grind and you don't make any money you, i mean you lose yeah. money for a couple of years and uh it's hard yeah no you know? I, I i gather that dana Gould, I, I hate to keep dropping names of Pat, a recent guest, but Dana Gould was on the show as well recently. And he's he, a great comic, great, 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 absolutely great comic, fantastic. Yeah, he made a point of. Uh, I was asking him about the Ben Stiller show, which was very deeply meaningful to me when it uh, came out, and I was uh, must have been fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and uh, 
Anyway, I was asking him about it just because I, I I knew he was associated with it. He made a point of saying that that was the show, that was the period where he he basically introduced you and Bob. Is that about right? Does that ring true to you? That I'm not sure about that. I I the very first time I met Bob was with or through Janine Garofalo, yeah. and he um, I think he writes about it in the book, and it's kind of one of those stories that we've told over the years, and it's in the Mr. Show book and it's in his book and I'm sure it'll be in my book when I do one, but, um, you've done one. He, that, that's, don't sell yourself. No, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, I've done, yeah, yeah. I love that uh, book, but I mean, that's like a great a, book, your book. Uh, well, thank you. I drink for uh, a reason. Am I saying that right? I don't have it in front of me. That's right. Yeah. yeah I, I drink for a reason. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I must I'll ba- do a memoir. <laughs> yeah. I must backtrack. Dana told me, I just remembered, sorry, I'm riffing here. He introduced Judd Apatow to Ben Stiller. Sorry, I'm remembering the quote now. He says that Bob and you and Bob started kind of working together, probably through Janine on the Ben Stiller show. That might have been the first time you started really working together. Is that more accurate? Uh, that is more accurate, but still not quite oh, okay. accurate. Sorry. It is, uh, but much more accurate. I So very briefly, uh, I was out in L.A. The Stiller show hadn't started yet. I was crashing on Janine, Janine Garofalo, who's the godmother of all of us. Um, I was crashing on her couch. She's like, oh, I know this guy is really funny. You'd like him. Uh, and I was kind of bored and I had a, and, and I was like, oh, maybe I can play basketball. And she's like, oh, I have a friend, Bob plays basketball, right. whatever. And his, it's funny when, when he tells it too, because I have my point of view and he has his point of view, but he didn't really, he barely, he left this, the door was open and, and there was a screen door uh, that was closed. He was watching TV. He was uh, eating a sandwich on a chair and watching some TV. And he barely, he barely even pulled his head back to look at us. And just, I just felt like I was eight years old, like on his <laughs> steps with my basketball. Like, oh, all right, I guess I'll go home. And uh, and then we, then we, uh, uh, you know, months and months and months later, uh, uh, maybe a year later, whenever it was. Uh, probably a year later, uh, I was a mid-season replacement. I was living in Boston. I came out to write on the Ben Stiller show and just baptism by fire. Uh, and Bob was a dick to me, hmm. as he as he has noted. He noted, uh, you know, when we do interviews, he's noted it. Um, he yeah. was really like kind of shitty to me. Um, and you know, we didn't really connect because he didn't kind of allow that. And then. We we had so many mutual friends, and we continued to work together, and then things kind of softened a bit. And then I remember the first time uh, that we connected in a way that is a way that we've remained connected, which is at a party at uh, Laura Milligan's house. We were in the kitchen. I remember this uh, well. And we started riffing what became the... Uh, the Mr. Show sketch about the Dougie flying English guy with a pan. He's the infomercial guy. Yeah, hitter, right. hit, hit, The hitter with the pan the, the, or whatever that, that guy is. hits people in the head with the pan. Yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, and we riffed that. And it was and and you know that's another thing that when you it, it's uh, to make it a, an analogy to when you have chemistry with a woman, you meet wherever at a bar, party, wherever the place is. Mm. And there's a definite chemistry and you're talking and you're just on, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that thing, uh, you know, whenever you 
when your relationship with your wife made that turn, like just you're on, you know, like, and, um, and so, and Bob and I just had that connection. We're riffing this really funny thing and, and, and really interesting that the, the riff that became a sketch is just traveling in this really funny way. And we're starting to anticipate where the other person's going. And, uh, and that's a very important key element. And then I was, doing stand-up uh, in at the Improv in Santa Monica, and he was doing his one-man show and I had in Santa Monica, the same kind of little Third Street promenade area there. And uh, I had time before my set, and I went down and I saw him do this his show that he was doing in Chicago before he ever moved out to L.A. And I had a show in Boston called Cross Comedy where we did kind of these very interesting sort of you know, fucking with the audience type uh, stuff. Yeah. And I saw, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes of that. And I was like, oh, this is really clever and interesting. And and there's kind of theatrical elements to the comedy and surprises. And uh, and I, it was the first time I went, oh, you know what? I think he'd like my stand-up. I think, I think, and I talked to him and he came over and he saw my set. And, uh, you know, I had kind of elements of like, uh, before I was known, I would go up as different, I'd have a different name or, you know, I'd go up as different characters and try to trick the audience and do, make them uncomfortable. And then we'd really <laughs> hit it off from that point forward. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate that background. So where I was coming from with, uh, reading the book and then revisiting Mr. Show, this comes at the same time that, uh, I'm catching my wife up on Better Call Saul. Because I'm mm-hmm. all up to date, but now I'm three, four times through uh, these seasons. Uh, so we're only, as of last night, we're about to start season four. Anyway, where the connection? Well, no, me- no spoiler alerts because I'm early in in this season <laughs> six. Are you serious? Yeah, you have only seen okay. one episode. I'm not going to yeah. say I don't spoil anything, yeah. and I uh, I won't spoil a thing. My point though is this: uh, in rewatching Mister Show, and I know this about you because of Todd Margaret, because of Arrested Development, all the films you've done. The acting on Mr. Show is out of this world. So there's the comedy that's fucking funny and sharp, but I'm like, oh, because I think a lot of us were like, why is Bob Odenkirk on Breaking Bad? No, I know, not me, sorry. I bet some people are like, what the hell is the show? Why are there all these right. comedians on it? Something about Vince Gilligan and that universe, he respects comedians and he knows they're integral to telling that kind of story. I mean, Cranston as well, I think, was a comedic actor, really, when yeah, you think about it. Yeah, came from Malcolm in the Middle. And yeah. Seinfeld, yeah, like all the stuff he had yeah. done, really, that he was known for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there's a real comedic lilt to it. So it made sense on that level, but Bob's acting is out of hand, but then I was like, wait a minute, David's acting is also out of hand. Like, just a high level of acting and performance on Mr. Show, if I may say. And I guess I'm just curious, We, I know you as comedians... Did you do any acting exercises? Did you do any acting training to get there? Because the way you get to places with those no, mystery, uh that's phenomenal I, I, to me. I, I don't think Bob did, uh, and I, I didn't really. I mean, I went, I, I, I went to a school of the arts when I was in uh, high school. I, I transferred uh, in tenth grade and went to a school of the arts, a magnet school. Um, you know, still public school, but concentrated on that. So, you know, instead of like gym or whatever, you have three hours of the day is is based on these other concentrations. And I, you know, I did some like acting stuff there. 
and and had a teacher. You know, there was an acting teacher, but um, I I didn't go to like you know acting school. No Juilliard for you. Okay, got no it. Juilliard. <laughs> I would have. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. You know, I definitely would have. I'm sure I could do it now and and learn and become a better actor. I'm sure. Well, I know. think of you as very obvious. I, okay, and I don't know. Where I'm coming from, and, and let me say I, I appreciate your your saying that. That's a very nice uh, thing to say and a, um, a nice observation. Do you feel? Did you feel that as you were doing Mr. Show, or if you look back on it, for, or when you revisited? Yes, I, I did. I, I the year there, uh, I was very vocal. I still am uh, about. I don't know what year it was. It was probably ninety seven or ninety eight, and there was we did a sketch called prenatal pageants. And Bob's acting in that is, it shows you everything that he was going to become. He's really, really good in it. It's a comedy sketch, but it's grounded. It's got empathy. Uh, I think our characters had a lot of, uh, uh, there was some pathos to it. And um, to most of our characters, you know, and, and, uh, um, and he's just great in that. And I remember that year, we were nominated for, I believe, a writing Emmy I think we got nominated for like over the years, maybe like three or four Emmys. Uh, but it was like writing and music. Um, and I remember Bob, I remember I was being particularly annoyed because Bob wasn't recognized and sketch actors just weren't recognized as, as in the acting categories and, you know, comedic performance, I think they would call it. And the winner that year was Dennis Miller, who had his uh, talk show. It was like a, you know, he'd, he'd do like a monologue up front, and then he would have a guest, and he'd talk to the guest for the bulk of the show, and then he would do these kind of, I don't know, photo funnies things, where he'd stand by a monitor, and there'd be like photos from the news, and he would comment I watched on it. that show, I, I will say. It was on for a yeah. short period, it got canceled. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, one of the few instances, well, I guess it happened with Conan, too, where the the host knew... He was canceled, but still got to do a week of shows. Mm. And it, uh, I'm sorry, I know Dennis is whatever, but uh, this was the this was the HBO. Oh, sorry, show. different show. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. not not his talk show. Oh, this was like a oh, okay. weekly or De- Dennis do like ten of them. Dennis Miller Live or whatever it was called. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I I, I don't remember that, anyway, but I remember yeah. he won the Emmy for best comedic performance the same year that Bob did. Not just prenatal pageants, but. You know, yeah. I don't know, sixty characters yeah, or whatever, yeah. and uh, and it just really always bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not a knock on Dennis Miller, just the idea that that you're just delivering it's being himself jokes that people wrote, yeah. and then yeah. interviewing somebody, and like that is a better performance than what Bob did in yeah prenatal pageants. I, I would disagree. Well, again, it's it's rather yeah, and I don't again, I don't mean to just you know, uh, butter you up here. The singing too. You mentioned the music stuff. <laughs> right. No, your singing is fantastic. You got a great singing yeah. voice, David. If I might say, I'm going to make <laughs> you uncomfortable. You. But I, I, everything. Sorry, you have to understand. I'm rewatching Mr. Show. It's the context yeah. is you know I, as you know we've talked a few times now. I'm a fan of yours, and uh, but just immersing myself back in the world. I'm like, look at all these these guys are so talented, and uh, like it it totally makes Better Call Saul. Uh, which I was, I will admit to you, I was initially like, they're spinning off Breaking Bad. How are they going to do that? And mm-hmm. and then I saw it, 
and it's the best thing I've ever. It's one of the best things yeah, I've ever like, seen. Oh, of course, of course, of course this course makes that's sense. What they yeah. Do. So all I'm yeah. getting at is I feel like you two are very, very talented and maybe unheralded for your various talents. And and all I was also going to get to there is, I think of you as very. I think you're thought of rather as very talented writers and comedians, but with the acting and the performative skills on display. You just make it seem so easy. So that's why I was asking, easier than most, I will say, uh, comedians who end up in acting situations. And uh, I don't know what that's a testament to. I think maybe it could be Haley's Comet. You're just two uniquely talented guys, and that's what you were able well, to do. Well, you've, Vish, you've discovered our secret. <laughs> it is, in fact, Haley's Comet. You and Bob confer about things. He sent you galleys. Have you had any role? Does he confer with you about uh, Better Call Saul in any way? No. Not, 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 not in any way. Nor, nor should he. Uh, I just... I make him swear to secrecy before I can watch it all. Oh, okay. You, uh, you, which he's been very good about. Yeah. Um, uh, Cause yeah, I love the show. It's a really good show. It's phenomenal. Um, yeah. Okay. And I, the fact after last se- or whatever, whenever it came out, but season five that Ray Seahorn didn't get nominated. It will always uh, also bother me. Like she was so, everybody's good in the show, but no, she Ray's... in particular, the way that, Kim Wexler evolves and the nuances of, I mean, way more than any other character on that show. Like to watch Kim's change is, is really, she's just great. She's, she's really great. I'm currently a team Kim, but I'm dreading where this is going because of don't 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 don't, don't say no 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 no. I just mean generally. Yeah. I just mean we. I mean, did you watch Breaking Bad? Yeah, of course. Okay, so you know that. All I'm getting at is Kim's not in Breaking Bad, so we don't know what's going right, to happen. Right. But we're seeing this I see, yeah. character develop. That's what I'm phenomenal. I, I, do you have any insight? Why are people in the critics realm? Uh, maybe I don't think they're better call Saul is being ignored. But why? Why isn't Ray? Why aren't they being? Why aren't they winning everything? Do you have any insight? Uh, I mean, I don't have insight, uh, but I can offer an opinion. I think. I mean, there used to be, like, the TV landscape when Breaking Bad was around was much different than it is now, and there's a glut of stuff out there. I don't, you know, uh, I don't think, I can't tell you why Ray, you know, I don't know, or she needs to pay more money to a publicist or however the shit works. Politic uh, I more, don't, yeah. I don't know yeah. how it works. Um, it's not my world. I, you know, it's, you know, people go out and actively campaign for that stuff. Uh, and I, people just don't uh, physically have the time to look at every single performance. I mean, there used yeah. to be, I mean, how many dramas were there in, in, you know, in a year? I mean, were there... 48 that you could cull through or yeah. uh and now you know maybe then there were back with breaking bad was happening maybe there were like 69 70 and now what are there 240 and you're supposed to look at every single episode and every single performance and i mean it's it's also know, a series know. of it's a series of its time because i think on in the same episode it's a comedy it's a drama it's a murder mystery I think sometimes when you can't, this is, you know, you're talking about all comedy and people add that prefix to stuff if they don't get it. 
I think, a lot of the time. And I feel like that show is one that just throughout the episode, you're going to laugh. You're going to be like, what the fuck? You're going to like it's and I think that can create this like, what is this? What am I? What like you see the absurd categories they end up in uh, <laughs> even like I could see yeah. Bob and I don't maybe this has happened. I'm riffing here, but I, I would if he's nominated for best comedic performance in Better Call Saul. Well, that, like, that wouldn't happen. They wouldn't. They wouldn't submit him for that. You can only right, submit of course. for. Oh, oh, right. Of course. It's it's yeah. It anyway. would be dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. All this to say, it's it's a it's a wonderful uh, show. I'm proud. I'm happy. I was going to say like a papa. I'm proud of you and papa. <laughs> 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 but I'm very happy for both of you. What is uh, next for you, David? We 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 have you've got this special out that's phenomenal. Officialdavidcross.com to watch. Uh, I'm from the future. I hope I'm just making that up. That's the right title, right? I said it right. Yeah, I'm, I'm from the future. <laughs> uh, what's yeah. next for you? Also, within that, what's next for you is my main question. But um, I've watched your special. Is it going to be? Is it available on audio platforms as well? Uh, as it will special? be. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to release it through uh, 800 Pound Gorilla, and oh, um, nice. there's certain kind of like you have to. I don't know all the stuff, but it has to be on this thing for X amount of time, and then you can put it on this thing for... I, I don't yeah. know how it works, but it'll be uh, available shortly. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and and uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, so Bob and I and his brother Bill wrote this... Uh, pitched the show, um, sold it to... Uh, you know, had a lot of interest, and then basically... Paramount Plus uh, had the the best offer, so we we wrote. It's a limited series designed to be a limited series about uh, cult leaders. Um, it's specifically two cult leaders, one played by Bob, one played by myself, hmm. vying for these different people. And then, but it's it's a it's a got a beginning, middle, and an end. You know, a limited series, and uh, we wrote uh commissioned to write the first four scripts and they have them they've had them for about three weeks now and they're waiting to decide they have <laughs> like uh i don't know why but in most tv they have uh like several months to decide whether to go further with it and um hmm. and so the ball is in their court as it were and we're waiting to find out if paramount plus is going to pick it up and order it and then if so we will immediately get to writing the next four episodes and we have them all beat out we have them all plotted oh nice we know where everything goes um we're very happy with the scripts we wrote a lot of potential i mean just it's already funny on paper but the, then when you think about getting on set and we jason Wolliner would be directing it and he's great and we've worked with him before and then just whatever we come up with on set and how amazing it could be it could be really special uh so we're, we're waiting to find out about that and um if that doesn't get picked up then i will get go into overdrive on my stand-up i just 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 started doing the run of shows that i i've done for the last three tours which is i just do them here in brooklyn they're called shooting the shit seeing what sticks and uh and if you're interested if you're in New York, uh, you can go to my website and see where I'm doing those shows. And it's, it's just me. I, you know, I record everything and I'm, it's really pretty loose and I'm riffing and talking about stuff. And it's eventually the stuff that I'm doing is what ends up being the tour, the the set that I do on the tour. And, um, 
and it kind of goes in three phases. And I just started phase one, which is really loose. You have a, some special guests. I just, as I said, I tape everything and I go, oh, there's a, I, that's a funny riff and this could, and then it becomes material, you know, but uh, the beginning part, they're very, very loose and very fun. Hmm. And then there's, there's really three phases to it. So I'm in phase one of that. But if the, if the show doesn't get picked up, then I will be doing two to three sets a night for a month and a half. And then, uh, you know, getting something ready to go out, go out on tour. That's lovely. I mean, you, there's a point in the in the new special where you uh, you talk about how great it is to be back on stage. I, and I appreciate how hard it was for you to be off of it. So I'm happy. Fish, a year and a half. Yeah, no. A year and a half. I didn't get, I mean, a year and a half. That is the longest. I started doing stand-up. The first time I did it was the week before my 18th birthday. And I... In that time period, I don't know that there's probably the longest time was probably three months, and that seemed like an eternity. So a year and a half without getting to do stand-up is, was brutal. You make a very, very funny joke about stand-up comedians and narcissism in the special, which I enjoyed. And, uh, but what is it about it's true. What, is, what is it about it that you miss so much? Was it the crowd interaction? Was it, I know it's your main expression, but can you pinpoint it? Like what was it that you missed? Uh, I mean, very, very much it was about, and again, uh, addressing some of the narcissism uh, of it, which is, you know, at its core, it's like, listen to me, <laughs> you know, I li- pay attention to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a really fulfilling, satisfying creative process to go, uh, and, with the audience, and I do mean that sincerely. It's 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 when I'm initially doing these things, it's a dialogue. Yeah, you know, yeah. it eventually becomes a monologue, but it starts out as a dialogue. And you know, I'm a I'm a bit of a chatty Kathy, and uh, <laughs> you know, to, to be able to go out and if you can't go to a pub and sit around and talk politics and you know, topical shit with your friends and, and your friends' friends who might be strangers at the beginning of the evening. But, you know, it kind of replaces that in a sense. And uh, and, and it's always an enjoyable process. And it's enjoyable for me to find these things on stage, to, to go, oh, that's what this bit is about. Yeah. It's not about this. I thought it was about this. It's actually about this. Yeah. And 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 just performing. I mean, there's, there's no substitute for it. Yeah. Zero, none. Yeah. There's no substitute for stand-up. Well, I I can see that. I, I can vaguely relate to that on the one hand. But I'll, I'll just say, as, as I said already, the special is wonderful. It's great to see you, I think, exuding joy to be back on stage. I know you guard it a little oh, yeah. bit. But I, I, I it's really lovely, and the special is fantastic. David, I'm... Oh, sorry. Before we go, uh, uh, I met, we mentioned your website a few times, officialdavidcross.com. Where else can people go to learn more about your comings and goings? I know you're fairly active on Twitter, for one thing. Don't go to Twitter. I'm barely on there. Well, <laughs> I, I, know, I knew about the shows you were just talking about because I looked at your Twitter yesterday. And- oh, you know what? That's true. Uh, I have, uh, I have a, a guy who, when there's like kind of uh, official stuff, will put that out there, like right, uh, social right. media... He, he's the guy who runs uh, the website, right? Okay, or maintains the website, I should say. But right. he's, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, he, he's in St. Louis. We're like, hey, Brendan, can you uh, tell? Because <laughs> I'm also technically really dumb, really bad. That's really? A, that's hmm. the main reason why I had a kid. 
so that she can grow up and teach me how to do these things. Um, <laughs> you seem adept to me, uh, but yeah. It's... No, I'm not. I am not. But uh, so yes, on Twitter you can find some for sure. Yeah, Twitter, uh, and then if you go to the my website, you can sign up for the mailing list, and we send everybody on that list uh, info for things that are happening. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, man, thank you so much. Thanks for your time and uh, um, and all that. And uh, uh, good talking to you again. Yeah, I appreciate it, David. You you know, I love you very much, and I, I'm glad you're working and, and and happy. So best of luck with everything in the future. All right, man. Thank you very much. Very, very special thanks again to David Cross for coming back on this show, this time to appear on the 694th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter. Please visit vishkana.com and like Creative Control on uh, the Facebook there if you want to. You can follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me uh, directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. All of the work that is done to make the show is uh, primarily compensated by you, those of you who contribute to the Patreon. It really means a lot that you do that at all. It's a modest Patreon in the grand scheme of things, but it means the world and you know, you, you hope at some point maybe uh, it'll sustain uh, my life and my family. But uh, what are you going to do right now? That's not happening. But still, labor of love. I know you contribute to it uh, from some sort of labor of love perspective, too. It means a lot. Six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, sometimes derived from new interviews. Sometimes I dig into my archives and I post things there. So uh, I appreciate that. That's what you get for $6 or more a month. And uh, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon, and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, patreon.com slash Control. Thanks in advance for even considering contributing. Uh, thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this podcast. Thanks, as always, to my uh, friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with David Cross. Again, this is, I believe, David's third appearance on this show. It means the world. It just means the world to me. I've been a fan for so, so long. So thank you, David, if you're still listening. If you listened back at all, I doubt he did. But thank you, David. If you know David and you hear this, tell him I said thanks several times at the end of the episode as well. And uh, speaking of thanks, thank you for listening. As I say, thank you for subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it, spreading the word about it. That helps a lot as well. Otherwise, I hope you're well. Be safe. Be kind. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.